Hey everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I am the host of this show, uh, Todrick Von Conklinstein. That is my millionaire philanthropist name. So if you ever see, like, this statue was given by Todrick Von Conklinstein, you'll know it was me, secretly. And it won't be a mystery to you. You'll be on the inside track. So, today... <laughs> I'm choking up here. Today is... Uh, a part two day, although really it's not a part two. It, it, it's it's a part two of a conversation we had last week, but it's a much different topic. And so I'm actually kind of excited for you to listen to this. And don't think that you needed to listen to part one for part two to make sense, because that's simply not true, not true, not true. In fact, this definitely stands on its own. And it's around the use of the word capacity which is a word we've talked about a bunch before. And people the people used to ask me all the time, well, you know, what do you mean by capacity? And I would say, well, capacity. But you can't really define a word by using the word. That's cheating. And so I would think of other ways to say that margin, tolerance, and stuff like that. And I was working with a group, um, really great group, and they sort of tossed around a phrase. I'm not going to tell you who, it, who what it is or who said it. It's Mr. John. But um, – that phrase, I think, for them was a meaningful next step into understanding really high reliability, um, human performance, but really capacity. And that is cool. And one of the cool things about it is, is that I actually think their word, because it was meaningful to them as a group of, of senior leaders, it, it was a very elegant term. And it's a term that I, maybe we should be comfortable with as well. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Oh, no. Because if I do, then you won't jog on and listen diligently to the podcast as it moves forward. So, plus it builds drama, and it's all about building drama. How are you doing? I can't believe that we're back in uh, sort of pandemic funk again. I, I mean, I can believe it. I, I even understand why. I, I I followed this closely. I've had so many smart people on the pod talking about it. I, 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 I'm, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm incredibly surprised. And a bunch of you are locked down. I mean, it's, 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 it's remarkable. And, and who would have ever guessed we would be alive during such times as these? And what we're learning must be remarkable, must be very important because um, the universe is just teaching the crap out of this lesson to us. There's no break. We're just getting the crap taught out of us. So it just even though we don't want it, that's what's happening. And so that I think is a part of the discussions we're having as well. And it's weird because we want to think work is kind of back to normal. And in many ways it kind of is. And yet, Normal is so different now than what it used to be. And you feel it. I mean, you feel it when you go out. You definitely feel it when you travel. You guys know what I'm talking about. You feel it when you go to the site. It's it's just, it's it's a different world. And, um, and it's causing us to adapt. It's causing us to really exercise muscles 
that we probably haven't exercised in a long time or fine muscles we didn't know we had. Organizationally, that's a metaphor. I mean, I'm not sure I've got any new muscles. Don't get me wrong on that. Although, I did crack 4,000 miles on my bicycle this year. So, I'm not bragging. But uh, how many did you ride? That's all. It's just a question. I'm just asking. I'm positing a question. That's all I'm saying. Um, I might be a little bit fixated on riding my bike. That could be a part of it as well. Well, that said, let's not belabor this introduction much longer than it needs to be because we're about to go into the discussion of uh, part two of a conversation that isn't connected to part one, except it's the same cast of characters, but it's a whole different topic. So we'll see what you think. I'm curious about your opinion. We'll talk on the other side. But until then, join the conversation already in progress around a brand new topic. Here we go. Let's pick one more little subtopic that I'm curious. And I I just want to plant this idea and see what you guys think. So I was with some guys last week. And we were talking about capacity and margin and, you know, the words we all talk about all the time, which are kind of meaningless academic terms that all of us sort of struggle with. Is this the best way to say this? You know, safety is not the absence of accidents. It's the presence of defense. No, that's too linear. It's the presence of controls. No, that's too linear. It's the defense of margin. No, it's capacity, right? They coined a term that I've kind of... But I shouldn't tell you this because it'll bias you, but I think I might have fallen in love but with you, it. But you're going to bias us Yeah, anyway. I'm going to bias you. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, you can feel free to de-bias me if you need to. And they started calling it operational tolerance. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you where that came from. Is So this organization was thinking about their safety program, and they do bunches of high-risk work, like most of the people we hang out with. I mean, you know, all kinds of crazy conditions, all kinds of crazy weather. Everything wants to kill them. Um, you know, from cranes to explosives to dust to gas. They got everything, right? Bats, snakes, they got it all, right? Everything wants to kill them. And and we did an appreciative inquiry with them, which is always a great way to take your grip. And so I said, you know, what is it that makes you guys good? What's happening when nothing bad's happening? When you're successful, what components are necessary? And uh, and this guy, Mr. John, well, we'll call him that because that's his name. He said, we're better when we do high-risk work when we have lots of operational tolerance. What do you think? When I think of, so I mean, when I think of tolerance, like if I can tolerate a certain amount of pressure, I can tolerate a certain amount of temperature change. I can, I mean, tolerance definitely gives me a feeling of, uh, okay, it is definitely capacity, right? But it yeah. may be a more practical, which I'm, the reason I pick on Jeff about his academia stuff is because I'm not, right? I mean, yeah, I have a master's degree in engineering. I'm not an academic. But, right? it, I, but the fact well, is, is words add, matter. And let me right? add some, Bob. I would suggest you have 12 kids. You have more tolerance than probably uh, any four other fathers put together. But do I have – is that the same thing as the capacity that I have? Or is my capacity well, – this is really interesting because no, my, my capacity feels diminished at times because I have 12 kids, right? Right. Um, well, it must be. I mean, you must – at some point, you must run to the edge of margins, like the edge yes. of margins of how much noise you can handle, the edge of yes. margin of why there's never any toilet paper. 
right? And why, uh, yeah, how many times I can get shot with a Nerf gun when I walk through the house? And right. So is so is that the same as tolerance? Like, how much of this can I tolerate? How much of the ooh? Inter- so this really has now you've got me thinking. So th- so almost. Capacity feels like, you know, it's fine. I got it. I can handle this. Kind of no clinical. problem. I had the capacity. Yeah. It's clinical, kind of. Yeah, like- it does. And then tolerance feels like, it almost feels like I'm putting up with it. Well, but, but, like, is, but isn't that what it means? I mean, it, yeah, kind of. If you use a resilience engineering definition of tolerance, right, or, or an engineering definition of tolerance, I prefer resilience engineering just because we're talking about, but, right. So how much tolerance is in this screw? How much mm-hmm. tolerance is in this part, right? And right. and and what are you saying? It, it, how much drift can happen? And yeah, how much vari- variation can you have? And still, the part still goes together. The right. engine still runs, right? Mm-hmm. And some tolerances are pretty tight. So there's different ways of kind of looking at this. So an engineering tolerance approach. And, and tight tolerances are are failure prone. That that's tight tolerances but, are bad. But they're also but they're also necessary for high precision performance from certain things like engines, right? If you don't have tight tolerances on your ring gap, your in your piston gap, you're going to your engine's not going to run right, right? You're not going to be able to crank it up to high rpm. So, it's interesting, is it tight tolerances we want? Is it the right maybe it's the right tolerances? Maybe it's going to be different. Maybe it's operational tolerance. Maybe. Which, which is not tight nor loose. It's the right it's 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 what we need to survive when things go crazy or just in normal everyday work. This is giving me something to think about. So tolerant, I, I like the word. It feels practical. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it's the best. I think it's better than capacity. I, but I'm I'm think I'm biased because I like it. Right. I'm not sure it's more meaningful in capacity, but I'm not sure it's less meaningful in capacity. I don't. It's a really interesting. And the funny thing is, it came from their past history of doing high-risk work in all kinds of crazy conditions and if the operational tolerance is there then in fact the ability to be successful was to a great extent in their opinion kind of guaranteed so i'm going to jump in a bit here there's two definitions here of tolerance the ability or willingness to tolerate something that maybe you don't agree with um, but the second definition, which is getting involves, shot with nerve, right? That's getting shot with the nerve bullets, right? Right. Okay. Running out of toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is the capacity to endure continued subjection to something. So by that definition, capacity is in there. And going back to Todd, your, your quote, when they're talking about, I think capacity is kind of baked into the, the definition of tolerance in that regard. Well, and remember, meanings are in people, not in words, right? And so when we say tolerance, what do people hear? Not, not right. what do we say, what do they hear? Because I think when we say capacity, so pre-pandemic, when we said capacity, I think people heard, okay, this is a bunch of crap, and we're going to talk about academic stuff because capacity is not a word you really use in real life. And then the pandemic happened, and all of a sudden capacity became really meaningful. And people understood capacity at an operational level, right? And now when we say capacity, they understand what we're really talking about, how much tolerance is there in that part so that variation can happen and the part can still be used, right? So isn't that, isn't that something that some, so many of these key words have two different definitions, like accountability has the 
definition of giving one story, but then the legal definition of holding yeah, one to account. Holding somebody accountable, um, right? Capacity. When we talked about capacity a while back, you know, it we talk about it as an ability, um, uh, being capable. Um, um, but then also capacity is the ability to contain, like the capacity right. of a restaurant in COVID. And tolerance is the same. The two definitions, one speaks to a definition of tolerance as an ability, and the other speaks to the definition of tolerance as a capacity to endure. So, so which one, Jeff, do you think people hear when they hear operational tolerance? Like what comes I, to mind? I couldn't start to guess, but I would say that it's probably important that we clarify. Yeah. And really, aren't we saying how much room is in your operation for variation? And when variation happens, how recoverable is your operation so that it can successfully uh, do what it needs to do, which is maybe stop the job or drop something and not hit somebody or or whatever the case. Maybe. Or maybe I'm a manager going, how much of this crap am I going to tolerate? Before I do something, which is a fair question, or maybe right, Bob, it is maybe right. A, so that my operational tolerance is: you guys get this and get this under control, get it online. I'm I'm really fed up. This is this is unacceptable. I love those calls. Or maybe as a worker, I'm saying, how much of this crap can I tolerate? And can I tolerate before I leave? That's right. That's right. Operational tolerance. Well, I think it's a fascinating term. I love it. I don't know exactly how it fits yet. I'd like to, you know, me. I'll try storm it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's I'll what I'm like. around, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm relatively certain we were not going to answer this question. Uh, but it's well, worth kicking all, it around. Yeah, first of all, I'm not even sure what the question is, so let's go there. But I, I think, I think operational tolerance in an organization that crafts meaning around that word is probably a really important. Like for that that group we were working on, uh, the the company's called GIS. That's going to be a really meaningful term for their senior leadership. Yeah. Because they can now just tag on operational tolerance and everyone in that room who sat through the meeting where Mr. John said that will know exactly what that means. We're more successful when we've built operational tolerance in our system. Yeah. I worked with an organization once that used the term inertia as their uh, continuation, their, their, their perpetual cycle around the horn. But when they kind of deployed that and started socializing that term, what it meant to everybody was standing still until a force acts upon you. Uh-huh. Um, they were two really different interpretations of, of inertia. I don't know. Just well, came to Jeff, mind. you had to kick it around in your circles of influence and see what people think of that term as well. And Tolerance. I'll, I'll do the same thing yeah. just to see kind of how it lands. It's like we do with everything, right? It's like if it connects and people, if people can make more sense out of that, then, then, Capacity, because I mean, how many times, Todd, has somebody said, so what did you guys mean? They didn't ask in the middle of the session, but they've come up during break. What do you mean by capacity? I don't understand. What do you mean by we need more capacity to, to fail safely or whatever? And I think that if you show the blue line, black line, red line thing, and you yeah. talk about the gap between the blue line and the red line, you can kind of illustrate capacity pretty, mm-hmm. pretty quickly. But I, it, it is a confusing term because we're not – I'll speak for myself – I'm not sure what I mean when I say capacity because I mean okay. tolerance, I mean margin, I mean operational flexibility. You mean forgivability, I mean, right? The, yeah, the recoverability, yeah. Recoverability, yeah. Improvisation, all, all those things kind of fit into that word. Yeah. And it can be like physically system capacity. It can be human capacity. It can be the combination of those two adapting, you know, the human adapting with the system and all of that's part of capacity. And it's the challenge we have when we try to define a nonlinear system using linear language. 
Yeah. Right. And so it's always going to be a, a, a challenge, but I, I kind of think if anything good were to come from the pandemic, it would be an, a, an appreciation now for resiliency and an appreciation for the notion that systems that had very little capacity, very little tolerance really struggled when global variation happened. Yeah. What do you think? Feel good? Yeah, it was definitely a a fun conversation. And we have now more questions than answers, which is always your goal, Todd. Under the point. To leave people. Yeah. So um, that is my goal always. It is your goal, right? Which you're pretty good at that, I guess, because that seems to be what I always end up thinking about afterwards. Like, wait a minute, I think I have more questions here. Um, and Jeff, just so you know, you know, I actually think you're very practical. I just couldn't pass it up. When you drop some quote like that from some, it's like, wait, wait a minute. I don't even know who you're talking about. I, but I, I so don't mean to do that, but I just found in this last decade or so, and, and thanks to our ability to all be so self-taught to learn mm-hmm. every day and read. Yeah, yeah and no, it's all good. It, it's uh, good. It's really something, you know, Todd, you said something there at the end about the post pandemic thing. And you said, you know, we looking at our systems and, and looking at capacity and tolerances and resilience and recovery in our systems. I, I would just, again, not to oversimplify, but go one step below that and say, coming out of the pandemic, we're just aware of systems. Do you know, like the complexity of systems, not just mechanistic systems. Or the interconnectedness of yeah. the world. The only yeah, thing yeah, I, that's for sure. The only, the only thing I would have to disagree with you guys on is, um, at least from the people I'm talking to, we're not at the end of the pandemic. Oh, did I say that? I meant. <laughs> I mean, I want it to be the end. Yeah. But I think. Um, I will say this about resilience and pandemics and toilet paper. I still don't have eight months of toilet paper. So that I, I still, I, I think I'm thinking a little, I, I believe I'm thinking a little more about resilience, but I'm also still thinking, thinking about how much money I want to spend on toilet paper. And I don't have, so I've got to find that balance, right? I, I don't build up massive reserves because then I'm like a prepper or a hoarder or whatever. But at the same time, I realized I was not very well prepared for lack of toilet paper, for example. So how, how are organizations going to manage through this? Because we can't, we, the whole lean world has been taking us down to literally just in time everything. No, so much so that I can go down here to the, to the local store and get what I need right now, 24 hours a day. So now all of a sudden, like, do I change something there? I don't know. That's another whole conversation. But it, it is a part of the understanding of the, the lack of capacity that we all have at some level. Well, considering you're from Tennessee, don't you just use pine cones? There aren't pine cones in Tennessee. There Very are? few. There's plenty of poison ivy, and no, we don't use that. Oh yeah, that seems like it's, that would have an unintended consequence. It would definitely, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad. How about, a, how about a bidet? Get a Japanese toilet seat. I can't even imagine what Caden would do with uh, <laughs> something that would spray like a fountain. That's my like the Bellagio fountain. So, so during, during our conversation, well, during our conversation, he comes in here and the reason I had to go on mute is because he needed the other TV remote. Well, because of capacity and the fact that they lose these things, I lock the other one up until the first one is either broken. The batteries are dead or until it goes missing. So now he needs the other one for some reason. So he interrupted us. That's why I had to go on mute. But there's my, there's my little bit of capacity. I have two remotes and one of them's locked up so that when he loses it or, breaks it i've got a backup except now you're down to no remotes 
welfare. No, he's down to no remote. I still have two. Oh, the okay. one that the battery's dead in and the one that I have locked up. There he just go. doesn't have it. The operator doesn't have it. There you go. But the but the manager does. I've got it safe. I've got it in my safe locked up. So not capacity for Caden, capacity for me. There is the separation between those who think and those who do. Thank you, my friends. This was good. Yes, what a great conversation. It is so much fun listening to our friend Bob. And Jeff, thanks for being on the pod and for filling in the blanks, you know, because we had a little moment of dryness there where we had no good ideas. I miss hanging out with Bob. It's just so much fun. Uh, and he's always got, you know, interesting stories about having a million kids because he has a million kids. A hundred thousand, hundred thousands. He has a lot of kids. And that does probably teach you how to be resilient and how to be adaptive and how to understand complex systems because everything would be complex. There's no question about that. And that is pretty much the conclusion. I love these summer pods. They're just, there's just not a lot of stress. Everything's kind of free and easy. We can go a little short because who cares? We can go a little long. Who cares? Nobody cares. That's the best thing about the summer pods. That's what I love. And I love spending time with you. Thanks for being here. And thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Keep uh, on doing what you're doing. Stay tough because we need you. It's getting weirder. I didn't think it would, but it is. It's weirder. So until then, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That's important. Check in on one another. Um, I got an email from somebody who does it every Monday. Does a check-in on somebody on Monday. That is a dang good idea. I might steal it. That's how good that is. And most importantly, as always, be safe. Be safe.